Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and joining me today is Brent. Uh, Brent, good to have you, and we have a special guest, right, brother? We most certainly do. The specialist of guests. The the newly elected president of the North Carolina Baptist Convention, Dr. Michael Perdue. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate that warm introduction from Brent. Specialist. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the specialist guest we have here. Uh, you have just recently elected president of the North Carolina Baptist Convention here in the fall of 2020. Uh, you serve a First Baptist Church there in uh, Conley Springs, North Carolina, right? And uh, you've been there since 2013. You are a graduate from Gardner-Webb University, North Greenville University, and Southeast, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, as am I. So that's good. We're both, we're both alumnus alumni. So, and then uh, you have a lovely wife, Rachel, and seven children. Is that right? That's correct. So, and it's First Baptist Church in Eichard, which is located in Conley Springs, which is exceedingly confusing when it comes to getting your mail. So, is there a First Baptist Conley Springs as well? There is, and a First Baptist uh, Rutherford College and Hildebrand and Rotis, which are all right here too. So, uh, we get each other's mail from time to time. So what do you do? Just like get together once a month and trade everybody's mail back? Yeah, it's actually a really good idea. I'll propose that. So, <laughs> all right, brother. Well, um, so tell us first of all about your your wife and seven kids. So there's not a dull moment in your house, I guess, right? Uh, certainly not. So uh, my wife Rachel and I we've been married uh, since 2004, and uh, met each other uh, actually working at a, a Bible camp uh, together, working with kids. She came with the group that brought a bunch of kids. I was a counselor there and it's your, you know, typical Baptist love story. And, uh, so have been, uh, been married, uh, since, uh, like I said, 2004, uh, we have seven kids. Our oldest four kids are adopted. Uh, and then our youngest, uh, four biological kids. And so, uh, they're from 16 down to six. And so there's never, never a dull moment whatsoever around Casa de Pardue as we call it. So, 16 to 6. So you got built-in babysitters at this point. Uh, it'd be nice to think it was that way, but we're not quite there yet. But uh, we're not far off, uh, is my hope. All right, brother. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about your presidency here. First of all, I guess we should go on record and say no presidents of any state conventions, I don't think, are paid for this position, or at least not in North Carolina, right? Yeah, so um, the convention is behind a little bit on my pay, so uh, I'm pretty sure there's no paychecks coming for the position. No CP dollars were used in the making of this, as we like to say. And that goes for the podcast as well, so no, <laughs> no CP dollars were used to make this either. So. Michael, for the right amount of kickbacks, I will make a motion that we start paying the president at the next convention meeting. Oh, see, the problem with that, I mean, it sounds like a great idea, but it would probably take too long to go into effect, and I wouldn't be president anymore, so um, I'm not sure it's a great motion. Yeah, that's probably I would have to rule that out of order. Hmm. 
Brother, what inspired you to agree to serve as a president? There is no real pay and benefit that way. What, what is, what was going on there with your heart? And what were you thinking about as you agreed to some of that? Cause I think sometimes when you take a leadership position like that, you are going to have critics and you are going to have people with you. And I'm sure some pastors would just say, why would you even want to do that to yourself? Yeah, I think my wife asked that same question from time to time in thinking about uh, that as well. Um, you know, I've been involved with the state convention really almost since my ministry started. And uh, back in 2009, I guess it was, was elected vice president of the pastor's conference. And really even before that had just fallen in love with the work that we do as North Carolina Baptist. Uh, just appreciative of what it's meant in my life, just seeing the the scope and the scale of of what we do in missions through the state and and really worldwide, and just wanted to be involved in that and found as um, as I think a lot of guys who get involved do is the more you'll be involved, the more people will use you to be um, involved, the more people will put you in positions or encourage you to serve in various ways and so um, so that kind of got me started, and then probably. Five years ago, maybe six years ago now, I was uh, in a meeting in our association, actually, in our pastor's conference, uh, mm-hmm. where I was a uh, moderator. And uh, one of the pastors that was there, the former president of the state convention, uh, Ed Yunt, and we're just talking about his service and, and what it had meant for me, kind of from afar, seeing him serve, and now being in the same association with him and serving with him uh, in the association. And he just told me, he said, you know, if you ever want to be in that position. He said, I think you would, you would be a great president. Um, and, and I would, would nominate you in a heartbeat. And I kind of put that aside and forgot about it for a significant you know period of time. And then a couple of years ago, when, when the officers all announced at the same time that they weren't going to be running, I just kind of approached him again and said, do you think this is the time maybe to do that? And he said, yeah. And just from that point really just encouraged me uh, seeing things in me that I certainly did not see in myself, uh, that that he really thought, knowing the position, having served as president, that, that that's something I should do, something he believed the Lord was calling me to do, which is, you know, as you know, I mean, that's a humbling experience when a, a man of God comes to you and just says, I think God wants you in this position. And, uh, of course, I'm certainly asking, are you sure that's the case? Uh and and so from there, it just kind of fell in place and was elected a couple of years ago and then been elected you know, last month uh, at the convention. And it really is humbling because I'm just an average pastor. You know, um, I, my church is very average, typical Southern Baptist church, uh, you know, struggling like many are. And so to have this responsibility, it's, there's a lot of guys that would be a lot better than me to serve in this position, but I'm thankful for the opportunity. So Michael, we, um, as I guess, I guess, as you know, which we talked about this, um, whenever you were with Avery Baptist, um, for our fall gathering back, I guess, a couple months ago, um, really, I guess the primary focus of, of our podcast of the Appalachian Baptist Network is church revitalization. Um, of course, we do address other things, especially convention-related, um, state convention-related. Um, so with, with church revitalization in, in mind, um, just on a, on a 
personal ministry level, um, what is what is your experience with church revitalization? I mean, have you ever found yourself in the position of like a revitalizer or um, what's what's that been like for you in your ministry? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've pastored two churches now. So the first church I pastored went there at 23, High Shoal Baptist Church uh, down in the Henrietta, North Carolina community. Uh, if you think Eichard is a small community, uh, we do have a McDonald's in Eichard, unlike in Henrietta. Um, and you know, High Shoal Baptist Church was started in 1831 or 32, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, we had our 180th anniversary while I was there. It's kind of that traditional um, rural country uh, church. And um, it, it really felt like most of the time I was there, you know, we were working kind of to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw some good things happen. Uh, some folks were saved, um, did a number of funerals too while I was there. And I think it's a, 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 an experience that I hear very frequently when I meet with pastors across the state. And so, you know, was it revitalization? It was a church in need of revitalization. There's actually a young pastor there now that I think is doing fantastic things. When I, when I watch the, uh, the live stream of the church, um, I've been gone almost eight years now and, uh, yeah, almost eight years now. And I love to, to, to see what's going on there. Um, kind of jump in, sit on the back row with the camera and, uh, and see new faces there. And so I see good things, you mm-hmm. know, Eichard, um, is very different than that. Eichard, uh, in the nineties really went through the church growth movement. Uh, I think a lot of influence from, uh, kind of the, uh, the Rick Warren, uh, purpose driven model, a lot of growth at one point Eichard was running two services. Uh, Tom Rayner had them listed as one of the highly evangelistic churches, uh, in, in the whole Southern Baptist convention. And then it all kind of fell apart. And, um, and there was a steady stream of people leaving. And we've even seen that during COVID, just kind of people that were on the edge, maybe um, just kind of fade away. And many fade away, not even into any other church, just into non-church attendance. And so uh, really, it's been a long-term revitalization that has been difficult um, because of the baggage that came from the past. And it's really hard when I was starting out in ministry, I always assumed that the baggage that people had was from the fifties. That's what I was always told, right? The, the baggages of the fifties, um, uh, the fifties in SBC life. And what I found is no, there can be baggage from any decade. There can be baggage from any period of time. And, and I think kind of unsaddling yourself from that baggage is how revitalization takes place. And so, so that's been my experience just day in and day out with a church that has experienced kind of that steady decline. Again, we've seen people baptized since I've been here. I think a couple of years ago, we had a high of, of like 13 or 14 people baptized, which was fantastic for us. Um, but then at the same time, we see again, folks that are they're kind of depressed that things aren't like the way they used to be. And it's very easy to lose those folks again to, to just nothing, you know, to sitting at home. And um, we've seen the statistics uh, out across our denomination of, of how many people have had no engagement with their church since COVID began. And uh, I think that's going to be a new revitalization uh, difficulty for all of us that are a part of, of working in churches that are, 
either declining or plateaued and, and trying to overcome that. Because if you were kind of to um, trace that out in a graph, if you will, you, you may see good things, good things, and all of a sudden 2020. And it's like, did all your work just fall apart? And I don't think that's the case, but I think it's going to look like that for a little while for a lot of churches. Yeah, COVID COVID's definitely going to cause the rate of decline to speed up, you know, or the the season that churches will spend in a plateau to shorten before um before they start their decline. COVID COVID's definitely done that, I think. Yeah, I think COVID has accelerated issues in churches. So if you had a if you had an issue that may have taken five years to really be a problem or you had somebody five years out from fading away, it just accelerated it in five months. You know what I mean? So uh, I think definitely. I All think right, you're speaking, exactly right on that one. Yeah. Um, so speaking of um, state statistics, at the recent fall meeting, uh, Terry Long got up and gave a report for the state convention on revitalization. He pointed out that 82% of North Carolina Baptist churches are currently in decline. It is estimated by the state convention and Terry's report that one in five churches here in the state of North Carolina will not reopen in a post-COVID-19 world. How do you think that the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina is is going to help in these areas? Yeah, well, I tell you, that certainly was a very sobering number. I, I think that was the first time at the convention uh, when when Terry shared that, that I'd heard that specific one in five number. Um, I, I think one of the things I've been impressed with, so for me, I was on the, the board of directors for a number of years from like 2011 to 15 or something like that, and then all for a couple of years and then have been back on since being an officer. And I've seen this this dramatic shift, a good shift into focus on revitalization. So you saw a change in strategy about six years ago where we begin to look at these pockets of lostness. And, and, and of course, they're primarily in urban areas, although the pockets are scattered out across the state. And in the 2019 convention, you saw an extreme emphasis, an important emphasis on church planting. And we had this commissioning service with just church planter after church planter. I mean, it was one of those things where um, just person after person after person, I don't know how long it took. You know, I was backstage and, and on the front row and moving around and maybe had a snack in the back or something. It was just that many church planters that we just saw after one right after the other. Well, this year's emphasis was going to be on revitalization in that same um, scale in, in really emphasizing these revitalizers across the state. And so I think there is an awakening to the reality that if we do not focus on revitalization, we are going to lose churches that were making it possible for us to do mission work, for us to do um, church planting. We're going to lose those core churches. Uh, and, and when I mean core churches, I'm not talking about large churches. I'm just talking about average-sized churches, but they were the core backbone of their little communities all across our state. We're going to lose them. And that in turn is going to mean that we lose the gospel witness in that community. It's going to be detrimental to the gospel witness across the state and, and then on a global scale. So, so a little church in Avery County or here in Burke County that, that closes, if they're one of the five, that has a, a global impact on the work of the gospel. And I think the state convention 
uh, knows that and understands it. And they're trying to put a work um, and people and money and ministries and, and the, the, the complete uh, gambit, if you will, of what we're doing as, as a state convention into uh, that revitalization effort. Because if we don't, uh, again, our state convention, our associations, our denomination are all going to be weaker if we don't do that. And so, you know, you've got uh, folks like Terry Long, you've got other folks like Sandy Marks that are really, their life mission is to make those things happen. And I think that is an extraordinarily important thing for our um, convention. It's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I put out before the convention happened and, and kind of my view of our budget, uh, why I think we need to be wise in where we spend our money. Because if we take too much money out of the work of revitalization and of church planting here in North Carolina, uh, we're, we're hurting ourselves into the future and what we're able to spend on missions. And so I, I think the convention is taking a wise approach to that. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, do you ever feel like we're sort of, we, we sort of got caught behind and now it's almost like we're having to scramble to catch up because just from like my personal experience, when I was called to pastor here at Minneapolis, that was six years ago. And I don't ever recall like hearing the term revitalization. I didn't know what it was. And then like we even started the process here and you started hearing a little bit more about it, hearing a little bit more about it. And it was, all of a sudden it was like, Hey, that's, that's kind of what we're doing. And, and it was interesting because I mean, God had given me a heart for that before I even knew that I had a heart for that. But I, even on a personal level, but, I mean, on a state convention level, even you're wearing your international harvester hat right now. So even like with the North American Mission Board, it almost feels like we're all just trying to scramble to to get caught up because we're realizing all these things that you just talked about. Do you feel like that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think we have to we have to realize that some of the things we've done in the past just weren't healthy, and and they did not have churches in a healthy place. And that's going to take time because we, we have people, uh, and I'm speaking about my own church, and I'm sure it's true in many others. We have people that have assumed that things we were doing that looked really good but were unhealthy are actually healthy. And so the belief is if we just replicate that. Again, I've seen that in my own church. There's been a mindset among some that, if we could replicate some things we've done before, that would be a sign that we are healthy. Or if we could replicate some things that other churches that are do are doing, even though the way they're doing it is not biblical, the what they're doing is not biblical, but it looks good. It has the appearance of something godly, if you will, but it's not. And so, you know, that's a hard mindset to break. Um, it's a hard, it's really hard to do discipleship. It's really hard to spend that time investing in someone to, to teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. That is difficult. It is much easier to get them excited about a one day event or even to get them excited about a worship service. That's, that's easier. You know, you can do things like that. that really draw people in, but the hard work of revitalization is intimately connected to discipleship. We're teaching people to obey all Christ has commanded. And that. That is hard work. That is difficult work. That is long-term work. 
Uh, it does not happen, or at least in my experience, it does not happen overnight. It's about building relationships. It's about spending time with people. And those are all difficult things to do. And we were talking about COVID a minute ago, and that has only made the difficulties um, exponentially um, greater. And so, uh, you know, I think we are behind in some ways because our expectations maybe were different before. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I don't think that means at all that we should give up or throw in the towel or something else. I mean, it's obviously worth doing, but we've got to tell, we've got to tell people. And I, I think this is something y'all would certainly do because you know much more about revitalization um, than I do. That's where you guys, you know, spend your life and your work, which is fantastic. Your association, what you're doing with that is fantastic. I, I was telling Brent earlier, you know, I, I'm, singing your praises to other associations in the state. And so you gotta, you gotta come through well on that. Uh, but it's hard work. And if we let people pressure, believe right? something very <laughs> quick, no, there's no pressure at all. <laughs> if we let, if we, if we convince people that there's a quick fix, they're going to be just as disappointed as they are with other methods that have, that have failed us. Um, if they think there's some, you know, quick revitalization, quick revamp, uh, rebranding, you know, if you can rebrand real quick, uh, change the name, you know, to something trendy and that's going to fix all the problems, bring in some slick new preacher and that'll fix all your problems. Um, we, 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 we are going to do them a disservice, but if we tell them, Hey, this is worth it because Christ has called us to make disciples of all nations, including where we live with our church, um, and teach them to obey all that he's commanded then then I think we've got a good shot at, at turning the thing around. You know, when we look at this number, this 82% of North Carolina Baptist churches currently in decline, what we should know is that the average church is in decline. That it's, it, doesn't mean, for, it doesn't mean you're terrible. Yep. That's it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I hate that. I hate when people make pastors and churches feel like they are bums because their church is in decline. No, you are in the majority because your church is in decline. Our culture has changed. Our, our, you know, this, this idea that people had that they needed to go to church, that that was some cultural norm. All of that has changed. We're in a post-Christian uh, world now, a post-Christian country, a post-Christian community and society. And, and decline is, is the normal thing right now. We don't want it to be, but we need to get in this together and try to turn it around together Instead of, you know, you're not doing something right because your church is in decline. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, the president of the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina's church is in decline. We have declined during COVID. Our church has been in decline over the last 20 years. Um, our, you know, we, we are not perfect. And so if that, if that helps you to feel better because yours is there too, then think about it like that. We shouldn't make people feel bad. We need to look at solutions to the problem. And that yeah. comes through discipleship and it comes through, you know, being intentional in our, our ministry and our outreach. And, uh, and that's hard and that's difficult and it takes time. I appreciate that transparency. I think a lot of guys that listen do think, well, gosh, you know, I go to these conventions or I, I hear from guys and everybody's doing well except for me. And it, it ends mm-hmm. up being more discouragement than it ends encouragement. And I think that uh, there is a there is a, a goodness in that honesty and a help there. Uh, what about, uh, we, we've kind of heard here, I think, from you. Are there any other maybe improvements or initiatives that we could see coming down the pike in the area of uh, 
revitalization in the state convention level there or education initiatives. I know when we were at the state convention, they had kind of broken it down into three areas in Terry's report. And um, so I wasn't sure if, you know, that was going to be kind of how it was structured. I have those three areas here. I think he said they were going to work around the man, you know, cohorts that will exist to equip those guys around discipleship and disciple making and then managing change and transition. So he said those three things uh, are the, is that going to be kind of the focal point, those three, are there anything else in those areas? Well, one of the things that they really um, do push in these cohorts and we're actually looking at, at getting one of those started in the Eastern Burke County area uh, through the state convention is they really start by focusing on the man as, as far as the pastor uh, and I, I think that that is the wise place to start uh, when you're thinking about revitalization, because it's it's really going to be um, in many ways dependent upon the pastor. Now, the pastor cannot do that by himself. Uh, and again, that's something I would I would just say to the guys listening: if you are a pastor and you're you're pouring your heart into your church and it doesn't seem like the things you're doing is working. That is not to me at least. And, and people may disagree about this. That is not necessarily a reflection of you as the pastor, uh, because there are a lot of godly men who are fantastic preachers and their churches are a wreck because of their history, because of their idols, whatever it is. And so the state convention is really going to um, take time uh, to look at, you know, the man, the the pastor himself, and trying to help him. Um, and then, of course, they've got, you know, the other parts with the ministry and the mission, uh, which, which you're talking about, Terry, uh, mentions there. And that's really the essence of the cohort, uh, as I've understood them, is is looking at the man, the ministry, and the mission, and helping through one through peer, a peer group where you can be encouraged by other pastors because in the end, pastors are the ones who know what we're going through, right? Other pastors know what we're dealing with as pastors. And then from that emphasis on the man himself, then to begin expand out and look at the ministry of the church and the mission and has the church lost its mission? Does the church understand its mission and growing out from there? And so uh, I think you're just going to see as opposed maybe to something new, you're going to continue to see an emphasis on that. Uh, this this three-part um, breakdown there is something that Sandy Marks has been investing in pastors with for an extended period of time. And now that's beginning to expand out where more and more of these cohorts are happening. Uh, and again, encouraging, helping the pastor to make sure he's at a, a good place and prepared for revitalization and then moving on uh, from there to look at the church. Thank you for joining us for part one of an interview with Dr. Michael Perdue, president of the North Carolina Baptist Convention. Please join us next time for the continuation of this discussion that we have found both helpful and enlightening. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.